Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. So today we had the amazing opportunity to sit down with Kier Gaines of Kier and Them. If you guys have not yet heard of Kier, he, he has a YouTube channel with his wife, and he also has endless content on his Instagram. He's a mental health advocate and just super duper entertaining. This conversation could have gone on for hours because it was so fascinating to pick his brain. Definitely one of our favorite conversations that we've ever had. So here we go. And as always, Pretty Mental Family, take in a deep breath with us. And tune in. Y'all can hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Yo, what up, though? (laughs) What's up? What's up? How you guys doing? I was just listening to the podcast uh, with your friend who plays the character on the show Good Girl. Yes. And he was, yeah, Carlos, he was talking about losing his son. And he talked about the book bag and the backseat. Oh, what the? F- That's crazy. That's a great episode. I'm going to go back and uh, listen once we wrap this one up. That was really good. He was really speaking the trauma on multiple levels. I love that you tuned in for that one because it's kind of it's a big part of the wave that we're on right now is mm-hmm. is deconstructing uh, cultural toxic narratives that keep a lot of men locked in and um, not seeking mental health support. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. actually, when we came across the video that when of you speaking about fatherhood mm-hmm. and the complexities of it and all the layers of it and what it means to be, be a man and the expectations and just how authentically you spoke to all of that. That's and I showed it to Valentina. We were like, okay. Also, <laughs> oh yeah, we just like jumped right in. Nah, it's cool. That's my style all the way. I'm glad that you all reached out to me. Um, when I saw the opportunity, I looked you guys up and listened to a few episodes, and this is the first podcast I've ever been invited to that specifically focuses on mental health. So I'm real. I'm just ex- excited to be here. It's probably you guys are to have me. So thank you all for inviting me. Thank me. Thank you for thinking of me. Um, this is a dope opportunity. Yeah, sure. we're, we're excited. So yeah. we'll give you just a quick intro so you know who you're talking to. I'm yeah. Valentina. Mm-hmm. It's my sister Paula. Paula's actually a therapist. Oh, what's your what's your area of focus, Paula? I specialize in anxiety disorders, OCD, and trauma. Very good. Very, very good. I, I'm I'm very close friends with all of those things. So uh, I have a level of familiarity. Yeah. that's yeah. Amazing. Hopefully we get to like jump into the the meat of that as far as you're comfortable with. And- yeah. Nah, no holes bar. Whatever comes to your mind, let's talk about it. Amazing. Perfect. I love it. I love it. We'd love to start out with, if you could give us a little intro in our community, an intro of who is Kier? Sure. What's up, community? So my name is Keir Gaines. Ah, oh, what am I? I am a husband. I am a father. I am a social media influencer. Um, I am a few months away from becoming a licensed therapist. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I am um, a person who is starting to find solace in being really honest with himself. Um, I'm a person who is very imperfect and I use my platform to show people that imperfection is fine. Perfection is not a thing. Social media is a lie. Um, and yeah, I'm, I just, I'm a, I, I'm a person who's learning that uh, there are a lot of people out there who need to hear some of the words that I have to say. And I'm very thankful that 
um, I'm able to deliver those messages to people. But make no mistake, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And I heard, I heard the last guy cuss, so I know I can curse. But like, I have, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. I am just trying to find my way, and I am confused as hell at every turn of the corner. Yeah, that's amazing. I think like so many of us, especially millennials, mm-hmm. we're we're definitely treading this, navigating this landscape of like the old norms mm-hmm. that didn't really get us to for a lot of us to a place of happiness mm-hmm. and what kind of world we want to move towards, and then social media and technology and everything advancing at such a rapid pace, and the political climate uh, just feels like <laughs> one big social experiment. It does. Jim Carrey, who I am falling more in love with, the more I listen to what he has to say, I think he sees things for what they really are. But he said the reason that everyone's paraphrasing, he said the reason that everyone's a big ball of angst is because we live in a world, we've created a world that doesn't suit the human condition. And that's absolutely true. You go to work for eight hours a day, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family. Like, I don't care how much money you make, it's never enough. Happiness seems to be something that sparks for a moment and then leaves us now. We're goal-oriented, but goals don't really mean shit anymore. It's it's just, we've, we've built this life that does not make sense. We're saltwater fish living in a really shitty tap water aquarium, and we wonder why we're sick, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, you spot on with that. When you say when you say that you know we're goal oriented, but goals don't really mean anything anymore, can you speak more to that? Because that's actually something that we've ta- we've tried to talk about on this podcast before. Sure. So I've been reading this book called Atomic Habits. Um, it's by I think his name is Paul Glasser. Oh, I probably got that wrong. Terrible with authors' names. Sorry, guy who made that book. If I got it wrong, but it's a great it's a great book. And one thing they talk about is goals and how you goals are one thing. That's ultimately what you want to do. But really, what you need to focus on is your systems. Your goals are what you want to do. Your systems are what what's going to get you there. And he said people don't rise to the level of their goals; they fall to the level of their systems. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have good systems, you're screwed. Any, I work in education. Every 12th grade kid I meet will tell you that he wants to be a basketball player or a rapper. Those are their legitimate goals. They don't have the systems in place to actually make that happen 9.999 times out of 10. You know, four foot 10 kid from the project saying he wants to hoop. You don't want to kill a dream, but you want to feed him some reality too. His goals do not matter as long as his systems are not set up in a place. I'm not going to say they don't matter, but they won't happen as long as his systems are set up in a place where he can't get to them. So goals are great. They're, they're really good talking points, but I think the focal point is the system. Yeah. And it's, not, and it's, it's the systems. It's the systems that we have for ourselves. And then it's also the larger system mm-hmm. that we're existing in. Oh, it's- man especially when it comes to the mental health conversation. Yeah, and depending on what you look like in this country, if you're a man or if you're a woman, if you're transgender, you know, if 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 you are um, deeply religious in a Christian faith, whether you're more Buddhist, people will, if you're a Muslim woman, you know, and you show up, you're going to be treated differently based on your appearance and your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are going to be all based off of that. The your guy Carlos in that other, in one of your previous episodes, um, he was talking about being conditioned in the army. And he was talking about how when he was a little kid, he saw bombs being dropped and people being shot and how that conditioned him a certain way. I'm a six foot one dark skinned black man. My whole life, when I walk close to someone, they feel threatened. It's conditioned me to look at life a certain way. It's conditioned me to be a little bit apologetic about my own physical appearance and my own being. So yeah, the the outermost layer of that depends on what you look like because we don't all live the same life. Hell no. And we're, we're all expected to follow the one traditional path path to get us to the ultimate happiness that they spew out at us. That shit don't work. <laughs> I mean, truly, it's everywhere, especially with social media, mm-hmm. too, we play in that field heavily, so you know. Yeah. I want to know, know, how do you deal with, because I've heard you in some of your videos talk about how you also deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. How do you handle being an influencer on social media and having your life so public and also, you know, does that impact your anxiety? At all, because I feel like being that transparent and opening yourself up to be judged. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
That's a good question. I think, um, yeah, it, it has impacted me in some way. I'm very fortunate to have um, a background in music. When I was younger, I think I was seven, I told my mom I wanted to be a rapper. And from then on, I would write in my rap book and I would write lyrics and I got better and better throughout the years. Um, and around 18, between 18 to 25, I really leaned into hip hop hard. I wrote a lot of music. Um, I performed a lot of music and um, my mom passed in 2004 when I was 18. And from 18 to maybe about 21, I paid my bills from winning shows and doing performances. So I was really heavily into music and it kind of got me used to getting in front of people and delivering a message and receiving feedback, engaging the temperature of a room. Um, you know, I took that music and I sold it out on the streets. I sold my mixtape for a dollar at club letouts. So I spent all day packaging up these CDs with my mixtape and then I'll hand it out. But I'll be like, hey, my name is Keir. I'm a rapper from DC. This is my mixtape. This is how I made it. This is what it's about. I really think you should give it a shot. And then some people will start conversation with me. Some people say, nah, man, get out of here. But it got me used to promoting myself and advocating for my creativity um, and then being told you suck, get away <laughs> because no one likes to be unsolicited. Uh, but but I think that kind of helped me deal with the public side of it and people's feedback and people's opinion on the things that I think and feel and do. Um, but for the most part, the, the biggest hindrance is just, or the biggest adjustment rather is just keeping my family safe. Uh, I realized that I occupy a space on social media that's kind of unique. It's not a lot of people that look like me that are saying what I'm saying in front of a camera. So I think it, it catches people off guard and it transcends, you know, racial differences, gender differences. We all deal with the same things on a humanistic level. So I try to focus on that and like the commonalities. I got like one of the only Instagram accounts, like there's no negative comments. You can scroll for two years. You can keep scrolling Instagram and YouTube. Like there are no negative comments. Um, and we kind of norm our audience by allowing people to come in and be themselves. We call, we don't, I don't say followers. I say family, you know, I feel like I have constituents in this trying to figure life thing out. Um, and it's, it's been giving back to us in the way that people respond. So for me, it's making sure my daughter has a normal life. People walk up to us in the street. Now we, we can't go anywhere mm -hmm. without a lot of people recognizing us, which is beautiful. But my wife is very private. Sometimes she has her own social media thing that she's rolling out. She has a great audience that loves her, but she's a very private person. This wasn't her dream. She just got swept up in the wave. Um, so just just trying to keep all of that together and and really trying to receive everything that people are giving me that's positive. And, um, you know, when your highs are really high, your lows are very low. So some of the comments that I don't like as much, trying to see where these people are coming from. Sometimes it's just a, uh -oh. can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. All right, sorry, I talk with my hands a lot. I just knock my headphones out. But, um, man, I, I forgot where I was. I'm sorry. But basically, just, just making sure that the people around me are comfortable, making sure we have a normal life, making sure that the highs don't get me so high with the compliments that the disparaging comments really, really drag me down. Yeah, you're saying, like, um, trying to see where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, I mean, you guys know most of what a lot of people on social media say are reactions and projections. Yep. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, we definitely experience that in the, I guess it's like whatever it is that you're advocating for talking about, that's the area of their life that they're going to project on you. Oh yeah. So we experience it sometimes in the mental health arena, you know, like for example, if we, we present OCD in a certain way and somebody hasn't experienced OCD in that particular way, then they might go off feeling like we're invalidating that. I mean, this just doesn't happen a whole ton, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's just been about kind of what you were saying, trying to understand where they're coming from and, and not buying so much into when people totally agree. Mm -hmm. So that's like disagree. It doesn't knock you off your, your course. That's a good point. And you know, social media is like an echo chamber. We, we follow people that have a tendency to agree with the things we agree with who mm -hmm. see things the way we see things. So we get positive response and that feels good. That rewards us to be validated. Man, I hate Donald Trump. Oh, now you're validated by all these people that feel this way. But there's a whole bunch of people on the opposite side that feel completely different. And then when they clash on social media, it's, it's the funniest thing. It's like no one's willing to come off of their pedestal to see the other person's perspective for a second. 
It's either you have to like this or you have to like this. There's no um, gray there's area. A, there's no balance. Like Twitter is like a middle school cafeteria. Like huh. there's there's no balance there. It's crazy out there on Twitter. It is crazy. That's a reflection of the world, though. That's that's Twitter is is what the world would look like if we could all be in person and still remain relatively anonymous. What do you think that these echo chambers are being in, in such a black and white perspective to a lot of issues? What do you think that the impact on our mental health is with that? Like with society? I think it makes us incredibly one-sided. Um, I think that it conditions us to reject things that don't jive with our perspective which sounds like, oh, no, that's terrible. But when it comes down to things like the LGBTQ movement or women's rights or um, or, or, or trying to expand rights for, for people who um, are first-generation Americans or who aren't even from this country who come here to, to get a better life for themselves and their families, uh, if it doesn't jive with your perspective, you you don't lend it any attention. You don't lend it any grace. It's like, well, I got my own issues I'm fighting for over here. Those aren't as important. So now we have people who are feeling oppressed and being oppressors all at the same time. And it just makes for a nasty cocktail in our society where it's like we're talking, like everyone's screaming. And yeah. I'm, I don't know who's listening anymore. And mental health wise, long term, you got people who feel like they need to say something and the people around them in the social media echo chamber find it important. And as soon as they step out, somebody's like, well, wait, I have a difference of opinion. And then you just flood them with negativity because it, it somehow invalidates the things that you believe and the things that you would like to believe are true in your head, instead of just being that person's perspective and letting that be okay too. Mm. So that, that can't be good for us, man. no, it's so important. I mean, that's kind of like what we, when we talk about relationships all the time, that's a huge aspect of it is being able to like hold multiple truths at the same time, Absolutely. you know, even in, even in personal relationships, Absolutely. especially in personal relationships. Especially, so there's this video that you put out with your wife saying how in relationships, it's possible to talk too much. Mm. Over communication. That is. Okay. Oh so we're sisters. We recently reached the same conclusion <laughs> together, and we are basically like we're like husband and wife, wife and wife, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it came to a point where so we're really good with being having open communication. We're really good about you know validating each other. But it came to a point where we just, we kept arguing. And every time we would argue, I would say, you know, this is how you, you made me feel. And she would say, this is how you made me feel. And then it was, that's what the focus was. Mm-hmm. That's the focus. And it came to a point where I was literally, it was just like, maybe we just need to stop talking about this like all together. And then I saw the video that you put out with your wife talking about like over communication is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that. Man, over-communication is a real thing. And to your point, when you say, well, this is how you made me feel. And then your sister in turn says, well, this is how you made me feel. You know, when feelings are hurt, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more salient than than uh, dousing that fire. Like, I hurt right now. I need the satisfied. I need your acknowledgement. I need your grace. I need you to be here with me. I need an apology. But when that person needs the same thing from you, it's it's that's a tough give and take. Um, over-communication happens in every relationship. Like, whether you're married, whether you're friends, like a relationship is a relationship is a relationship is a relationship. Got different rules and shit, but for the most part, it, it pretty much operates under the same principles. Overcommunication is when, like, sometimes in the instance that my wife and I were talking about, is when you're so focused on trying to fix the problem or trying to make sure that the relationship is healthy that you just throw a little bit too much in there. I, I, I love when you check up on me, baby, but don't ask me how I'm doing 42 times a day because now I'm feeling like you you're on, you're being a helicopter uh, partner and I feel like you're on my back. Um, overcommunicating is sometimes being uh, maybe a little bit too verbal about your feelings and how you're being affected by what the other person is doing. Silence is a powerful tool. That's one of the most, that's one of the best things I learned in grad school when I was 
um, getting my master's in clinical rehabilitation and mental health counseling was silence. My professor made us sit in a room one time, quiet for an hour and 45 minutes. Not a word. Silence. Because silence is awkward. Or and one time she made us shut it down, you know, like kind of like what you guys are talking about when you, you're having a conversation and you're going back and forth and it's not going anywhere. You're like, hey, maybe we're over communicating. Shut it down. But that's like a form of silence. So it's 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 complicated. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily get it right on the first try. Sometimes you're over communicating to your partner. And you don't know it. You just <laughs> you just emotionally vomiting all over them. Sometimes your partner's being uh, is is over communicating to you, and you don't know a good point to come in and be like, "Hey, yo, that's too much," because you want to be a supportive other person. So, um, yeah, over communication sucks. It sucks to happen to. It sucks to do that to someone. But um, people when they feels, man, you, you got to feel heard one way or another. And oftentimes over communication is a byproduct of that person really needing something in that relationship that they're not getting. That's a great opportunity for a conversation. You know, sometimes what you need is just silence. (laughs) Sometimes what you need is just silence, but the balance is hard. How do you know which one to do? Right. Yeah. And sometimes what you need is to give it to yourself. Oh man. Talk about it. Come on. Yeah. Come on now. That was the conclusion that we got to. I'm like, you know what? What about instead of you needing to validate me and me needing you to validate whatever? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You validate yourself and I'll validate myself and let's just see where we go from there. Let's Man, just see what happens. I, I love that idea. But like the, the thing is, I don't know if a lot of people have the emotional bandwidth to do that. I think that's a lot to ask of a lot of people, particularly in today's climate. I don't know if we could still do the whole therapy um, oh, people shun therapy thing. Therapy is becoming really dope. It's in vogue right now. So much so that people say they're going even when they're not. And um, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, happens, it happens all the time. Like, yeah, my therapist said, and then like, you're not seeing a therapist, but it, it's like when you go to the gym and you don't really work out, but you take a picture of you by the treadmill. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it happens. Everyone's not ready and that's fine. But um, it's 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 just getting to a point now where I th- I think people are more accepting of like anything that falls within the therapeutic lens. I think that people are ready to listen, but I think people are now discovering because we have podcasts like yours and social media channels like mine that the work is the the meat of it. Like how we talked about goals versus systems, going to therapy is a goal. Doing the work is the system that's going to get you to where you need to be. Or maybe happiness is a goal and therapy is the means. But either way, like the systems is the actual work. Um, and geez, it's at, once you get into it, you're like, oh, shit, this is what healing looks like. I thought it was going to be fun with butterflies and uh, commercial music and shit. And you realize that growing is almost always painful. Almost yeah. always. Yeah. We always we always have that um, that moment where you're like. Man, I thought I'd already heal this. <laughs> Another layer. No. <Nah. laughs> nah, not at all. Yeah. Nah, nah. It's always more, man. It's uh it's an it's an abyss of feelings, but I will say this because I don't want to scare people from going to therapy. There's no matter how hard it is to do that work and realize that what you thought was like a 10 on a scale of one to ten of self-effort is really like a really kind of shitty one and a half. Um, the only thing worse than that is living a life where you believe that what you're going through right now is the only option for you. You know, the, the work of therapy isn't more painful than not growing, than, than being in the same place year after year, falling into the same shit in your relationships time after time on the same thought loops and thought traps and guilt and anxiety and burba da burba da burba da and you just spiral into a fucking nothingness. It don't hurt worse than that. That shit sucks. Yeah. Real bad, yeah. Real. Speaking mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, no, that is, yeah, there's nothing worse. And I mean, not growing is that stuff, you know? It is. It we is. find ourselves there year after year after year. At some point, you start to lose your spark for life. It's better to be uncomfortable and keep that fire flaming 100%. So what led you 
down this path of mental health advocacy? I don't know. I can tell you like the 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 technical uh, things that happen. So I live in DC. I'm from DC. Uh, shout out to anybody who's listening who's from DC. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I worked at an alternative school for students that had profound behavioral challenges. Like these are the students who can't go to public school anymore. They got kicked out too many times. Um, and when I was there, I was hired to be a college and career development counselor. And they had a clinical staff there who was working with some of the students. And I ran into a couple of them and just picked their brains. One of them was my supervisor. She was uh, this dope Black woman um, who was a clinical psychologist. And she ran that whole department and had other Black women up under her. And just getting to know them and seeing their love for those students. And then when I interacted with the students, seeing some of the things that they built in those kids, um, those students were actually able to demonstrate. I watched those students grow just from talk therapy. And it made me really interested in, in the passion that they had for the field. It felt right. Like my background is community health, um, workforce development, working with people who have been in prison for a long period of time or uh, women who are just coming out of shelters, getting back on their feet, trying to regain their families. I work with those individuals and I think it's a mix of humanizing them and learning the stories behind, uh, well, the person behind the story rather, working in the community and then working in the schools and seeing these black female therapists put their hands into people and watching those people bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opportunity came up, I applied, and it just so happened the school I applied for had a full scholarship. It was an absolute no-brainer. And I think it's the best decision I ever made in my life. When I went to grad school to learn to be a therapist, I thought that they would teach me how to be a therapist, which is kind of true. But really what they do is they teach you where your own biases and where your own shit is so that when you're sitting in front of people, you don't you don't over communicate and you don't spill into them the things that are very empty inside of you. Um, all of those things put together just gave me a fire for the field and just just seeing how people take these words and they apply them to life and it becomes this beautiful symphony of upward mobility and just prosperity and progress and like how can you not love that? How can you not love that? So I've been here and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Oh man, the level of passion that you speak about that with just gets me so fired up. I love it. I can feel that in your in your in your energy 100 percent It it sounds like you already had a baseline level of empathy and emotional intelligence to begin with, to even yeah. be drawn into these worlds. Yeah, my my best friend is a clinical psychiatrist. Shout out to to Dr. Niche. But um she and I talk almost every day and um we that's that's one thing we 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 kind of go back and forth about when it comes to therapists. There's an emotional intelligence like anybody can be a clinician. You can read a book and and learn all of the different methodologies and you could give somebody therapy. Um I don't think it's terribly hard with the right training, but with empathy and, and sitting in front of a person and feeling them and experiencing them, not as how you see them, but how they see themselves, and then switching that on and off and helping them get through a difficult time, either you got it or you don't. And I believe that's something that my mom instilled in me. She had very high emotional intelligence. Um, and and I just, I, I picked it up. And I think it's just very much so um, a really intimate part of it. So that's where it gets really intriguing, right? Especially when we're talking about the cultural climate around men. Around men. Mm-hmm. I just say that's one of the areas because it's gotten intriguing in a bunch of areas in this conversation. But when we talk about the cultural climate around men and the conditioning that mm-hmm. from very early on teaches men to dissociate from their emotions because somehow that makes them less of a man, how did you outrun that or how did like it didn't it didn't grip grip you how how are you able to like hold on to continuing to honor your truth as a human being it's a process I, I haven't always been here I think the world just met me in the last three years this is not who I've always been um 
it's it's my wife has done a lot of things for me. And one of the best things she's done for me through modeling is showing me that it's it's not right to lie to yourself. And she's taught me how to make it harder to lie to myself. And like the machismo shit don't feel good. And it doesn't really yield results. When I was more that way, when I thought that the strength of my voice was my aggression or, you know, not really seeing the power that I had wielding it around the room like a 400 pound gorilla, life didn't feel good. It doesn't it doesn't feel good to have people be intimidated by you or your presence, at least not to me. And I realized that if if I switch it up and instead of finding strength in force, finding strength and flexibility, that was probably the thing that switched it up for me the most. And for me, I look at evidence. I'm going to try this long. I'm going to try this for long enough to see if it works. And when I feel like quitting, I'm going to try for a little bit longer just to make sure. So I tried the whole flexibility thing. I tried sitting down and, and talking to my wife. You know, when we first met, when she was my girlfriend, we butted heads all the time. I didn't feel like I owed her shit. I don't owe you an explanation for these things. You know, especially in the beginning of our relationship, I saw what that did. I saw what that did to her. That shit didn't feel good. Um, you know, my family, I'm, I'm just now rebuilding a relationship with my family, um, with some members of my family. I, flexibility, some things you don't want to do in order to, to let that relationship grow and be great. But strength would be like, nah, fuck that. I feel the way I feel. You got to validate my feelings before I even talk about yours. Flexibility will tell you that, <laughs> what I just said, but also you had a lot of shit going on too. And perhaps you couldn't get to me the way you needed to or the way I needed you to. Flexibility allows you to see both sides a little bit more. And I think with a lot of men, the way we're socialized, especially man, especially in lower income um, communities, it's the flexibility piece just isn't there. The nurturing piece isn't always there for little boys. Sometimes somewhere between being a little boy and being an adolescent, you don't get the warm hugs and kisses anymore. You fall, scrape your knees, like get up, like you'll be all right. You know, I, I, I don't I don't know. The more I go out and experience people, the more I'm realizing that a lot of the issues with the culturalization of men, we look at it as a man issue. Like this is men's issue. Like toxic masculinity is a group project. Like we've all contributed to it in some way, form or fashion. We just, it's been this way for a very long time. People aren't really good at change when they have power and they are able to be protected from some of the more negative things that float around the world. You know, rape culture is a prime example of how a lot of men don't really dive into that the same way that women do. Because the risk of being victim to that is much, much, much smaller for men on average. So you don't have that same skin in the game. You don't have the same dog in the fight. And it's easy to be like, damn, that's fucked up. That's those people's problem. You know? Nah. Nah. I, I think that the way I feel, I don't think a lot of men feel much differently. I just don't think anybody's heard anybody say it this way before. We like to be these independent individuals and we like to think that we think for ourselves and, and everything we do is by virtue of our own thoughts. And like, no, absolutely not. Everything's conditioning. And sometimes we got to see somebody else do it first to know it's okay. You know, I, I started loving up on my girl in public a lot more differently after Barack Obama got elected. Mm -hmm. He made it. I never seen anybody do that before. And I'm like, oh shit, that looks dope. Let me try that my way. I don't think we've had a lot of men say, hey, hey, the way I've been raised is fucked up. This shit don't work. I can't pretend it works anymore. I'm I'm about to try to do something different. That's not manly. That 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 will kind of leave you on an island in a, in a group of men. Nobody wants to be not associated with a group that makes them feel good. You don't want the homies to not hang with you because you being a weirdo. And sometimes being a weirdo was speaking out against the shit that don't sound right and the shit that don't feel good. So I say all that to say, man, I, I just think that ma masculinity and just the way that men are raised from boys has been kind of like this thing where the only tool in the toolbox has been a goddamn jackhammer. You know, we ain't got no screwdrivers. <laughs> 
You know, we don't we don't have any of the little hex keys that you put on your IKEA furniture with. None of that important shit. It's just a sledgehammer, and and it it doesn't always work. And I think that the more we can say that comfortably and the more we have platforms like yours, platforms like mine, platforms like the thousands and thousands of other ones out there that address these things, the more comfortable the next generation, or if we're fortunate, this generation of men will be with saying, hey, I'm going to try something a little different because this ain't it. And one of your videos, that's literally how I've started all my sentences with you, but in one of your videos... You don't watch your videos. Yeah, I, I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So they're so funny. You're yeah. so entertaining. You were cracking me up yesterday with the whole like, I wish I could. You put up your muscular picture, and you're like, I wish, I wish, wow. <laughs> I wish I could like this without working out or eating, right? And I'm like, man, man I, like that's so real, though. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, man. I don't understand why people are so afraid to say what they're thinking when when it's something that's so intrinsically human that everybody is thinking it. You know, well, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, like, even just by doing that, you're even without saying this is mental health related, even just by doing that, that you're being a mental health advocate, because what I see in my work and in my own life experience, and I'm sure you've come across this, and if not, we'll come across it more, is that a huge portion of people's mental health issues comes from feeling like they don't have the freedom to show up as themselves in this world. Absolutely. And the world reinforces that all the time. They don't feel that way for no reason. Like shit in the world happens to make you feel like it's not okay to be you. So you tuck that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you have to be even more brave to normalize yourself. One of our taglines here at Pretty Mental is normalize being human. And I think that's what oh, we I love. love that. We love that about you because you're just so you. And in being yourself, you are... What does that guy a say? Permission a permission slip, slip? A walking permission, permission slip. Mm, I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. something that I... From one of your videos. <laughs> is that you talk about, you know, more important than just recognizing your needs is being able to call out your needs to in experience. relation. Like mm. in claiming what you need. And I think that takes so much bravery, especially being a man in this society because you're kind of taught to not have needs. You kind of just suck it up and you got to get it done and you got to go. Yeah. So can you talk a bit about that? About- yeah. yeah. Um, so when was, I think when my daughter was first born um, about three years ago, man, I'm saying my wife, like you say, I, I was watching your video. I know I keep <laughs> referencing her, but that's, I, I got to do that. Like she's the goat. Um, I remember being really angry with her because we had an argument and like a lot of men in arguments with their significant others, instead of really expressing how pissed off I was, I just ate it and I didn't say anything. And then I would be walking around my day having pretend arguments with her in my head. And it's shit that I didn't have the heart to say for real. And I had to ask myself like, no, why am I not saying this to her? Why am I not telling her this? And it's because I didn't feel like a man. I feel like a man doesn't tell you what's wrong with him. He figures that shit out. Rub some dirt in your eye. You be all right, you know? And it made me resent her a lot, a lot. And it made, it started ruining our relationship. And I'm like, dog, how you expect her to change something when you didn't even tell her what's wrong and give her a chance to change it? So I started journaling my feelings, which, man, even I'll be honest, I am 100 percent about this therapy life. But my own upbringing still messes with me. Me saying I journal my feelings made me feel like a little bit of a bitch. I ain't going to lie. Like it, it, it makes me feel that way. And I think it's important to share because even though I'm about this life, my brain still isn't all the time. You know, but I journaled my feelings and I started writing down the things that was really bothering me. And I looked at the list and I'm like, oh, shit, I need her to be more gentle with me. I need her to be a little bit more gentle with her words to me because them shits hurt and they make me resent her and make me angry at her. And terms in turn, I get more angry words and it's just this nasty cycle we're in. So for me, it was just seeing that I didn't like what was going on and knew that it didn't have to be that way. Um, it's, 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 it's not, it's not easy though. Like I grew up in the projects. I grew up in a place where you don't have feelings 
ain't no time to have feelings. You know, I grew up in a place where there was a whole bunch of violence all the time. Why, why get attached to these people when they they probably going to be evicted and move out or someone's going to get killed? Or it's just, it's a weird upbringing that just puts weird limitations on your attachments. So um, I think just standing by and looking at myself as like the sum of all my experiences and all the shit that's happened to me so far has kind of helped embolden me to, to say those things. And it helps when you got 300,000 people cheer you on like, yeah, speak that shit, bro. You know, you feel a little bit more using your word brave to step out there and realize that actually saying it and realizing it is more freeing than being embarrassed about the idea of acknowledging it. And I don't know if a lot of guys know how to really say, I ain't, man, I don't know. I just had my frat brother call me the other day and we had this conversation, but like a lot of guys don't know how to tell their partner, like, yo, you're hurting my feelings with the words that you're saying. Like this shit really hurts me on a deep level. And I'm not sure if a lot of men have partners who will be like, well, wait a minute, how am I hurting you? Instead of dismissing it and be like, well, no, you're not. You know, it's, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have my wife, listens to understand and not to respond. And I don't want to, I know I could talk to y'all for four hours and we'll spiral off, but like just really quickly in relationships, there's this overarching narrative that men are the antagonists in relationships and women are these creatures that do everything to keep these relationships together and healthy. And that's total bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's total bullshit. And it makes this whole conversation inequitable. Because we're not having a real, we're not having a conversation based in reality. So we can't have any realistic solutions. Say all that to say <laughs> that the journey here um, was complicated, but it's entirely doable. Um, I, I, I credit my friends a lot with being very honest with me, telling me where I can improve. Um, reading books of brave men who thought differently, even if they don't match your ideas. Alexander Hamilton was a horrible person, but I learned a lot from reading about his life and reading about his ambition and reading about how comfortable he was going against the grain. You know, you don't just have to be building, building the country's first bank. You could just be trying to build yourself, trying to build a better life, a better mentality, a better attitude. It's, it's a lot, but it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, what would you, I have, I actually do have many male clients I've, I've had and have that are terrified of expressing. Their really? Needs. Yeah. Are they terrified and they're terrified in a session with you of expressing their needs? Not in a session, but to go beyond the session and express it to their significant other. They're terrified of the, they equate expressing their needs with vulnerability mm -hmm. and then equating vulnerability with weakness. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we, that I, you know, we're constantly working through. What would you say to men that are in that space? Mm, I struggle with that too. Um, there's, there are times when I look at vulnerability as weakness as well. It's part of the upbringing. You know, when you're weak, you get picked on in a group of boys. Nobody likes being the kid that gets picked on. So you learn to eat that. I would tell them that, okay, so if, if, if you feel weak by being vulnerable, my my first question would be, well, how do you feel in your current circumstance? You know, you you don't feel like you're being heard. You don't feel happy, but you love this person. The easy way out is to say, man, fuck this shit. I'm gone. Mm -hmm. What do you think it's about? Hmm? I said, or to cheat and be able to cheat. Oh, yo, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, cheating is the easy way out. It's the coward's way out nine times out of 10. But I would tell, I would ask them which one hurts the most. And if you're in a position where you think that being vulnerable with your partner will hurt more than expressing to them what you don't like, and then giving them the chance to change that, then stick with it. You're, you're, you're choosing what you already want. I think a lot of times as clinicians, we assume that our clients always want the best for themselves in that current moment. And that's not always true. Some people don't know how to want the best for themselves right then and there. He may actually be in a place where I will die if I try that. I will die if I tell her how I really feel because that would be ammunition for her to use against me when I'm super vulnerable. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys feel that way. I've had that happen to me several times. If that if that guy feels like, hey, I'm going to just stick here. I'm in my comfortable space. I'm cool with this misery. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. That's fine. If he's a little bit more willing, um, what I would tell him is to try something very small. Give her a little something, just a little something personal to see how she does with it. And if she does hurt your feelings, let's come back. You need to come back and talk about that. How bad was it? Did it really devastate you? Was it really earth shattering? Are you still alive or your feelings just hurt? And if your feelings are just hurt, that's, that's good. That's what's supposed to happen. Now we know what that feels like. And that takes away the fear of it just a little bit more. Like, yeah, I told her and she didn't, man, she said some hurtful shit, but she ain't totally killed me. You What? You didn't die? The worst possible thing didn't happen or the worst possible thing did happen. And now you know what it feels like and it ain't that bad. All right, then what's the next step? Can we give her a little bit more? Can we try something a little bit different? Can we flip it a little like another way? It's I think men need a lot of different simple options when it comes to like emotional expression. If that's not something that's really in their uh, wheelhouse and I think a person like you is a great receptor because I know you will listen to that and um, be very warm to that and be very objective to that where perhaps a romantic partner would not. So it's a lot of different options, baby steps, man. But please, please share with your partner what you don't like. There's no way they can change it if you don't. Mm-hmm. And it also involves the other partner, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's a man or a woman, but being soft, uh, like being able to soften themselves up enough to really sit there and listen. Agreed. Without an ego, because it takes it takes strength from both sides. Man, relationships. Are <laughs> Man, can I be honest? Relationships suck. They suck. They suck. They always suck. When they're good, it's not that they're good. It's just that they suck less. You know, like what I don't. I am. I am so baffled by all of us trying to build these seemingly perfect relationships. There's no such thing. They, they always have a huge shitty hole in them every time. <laughs> this is just crazy because they that what they feed us since we're young is like you find the one you find the perfect oh one my God, and I, I like that like bullshit bullshit that is like not a thing yes. you got to find the person that's just willing to like continue the healing with you <laughs> yo love is about tolerance it's about tolerance and endurance I know that doesn't feel good to think about someone tolerating you, but I live in the world I live in, not the one I would like to believe exists. And sometimes love is about tolerance. You know what? I love you enough to put up with the shit about you that I don't like. I love you enough to try to work through it. Not everybody's going to do that. Just because you have amazing sex with somebody don't mean they're willing to do that with you. Just because you're physically attractive to somebody and you got the same goals and you like the same color or whatever surface level shit that people base relationships on these days, that doesn't mean that person's willing to go the journey with you or that you're willing to go the journey with that person. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you 5,000, man. And at the same time, the relationship conversation is so relevant to mental health because I would argue pretty confidently that it's the number one contributor to the quality of our mental health is the quality of our relationships. I, I don't think anyone will have a counter argument to that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are people in this world that validate themselves or who set value on themselves based on either whether they're in a romantic relationship or not or um, the quality of their romantic relationship. You know, a lot of people don't know how to love themselves intrinsically. Some Sometimes they need like a little boost. You need someone else to love you in order for you to love yourself. I've come across that a lot of times. Um, and it's unfortunate, but again, we live in an environment that doesn't suit the human condition. So I can see how people can fall um, off the path when it comes to that kind of thinking. Yeah, it's such a balance because relationships help you heal. But at the same time, if you don't come into that relationship with some level of already being healed, you're not going to be you can't go deep with them if you can't go deep with yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and you. <laughs> uh, oh, man, who was it? I'm so bad with quotes and people. Was it Eric Erickson? Finally, someone else. Jesus. This, I think no. I'm, that's so much terrible. Terrible. I'm like, this person said, yeah, this. I don't know. 
Listen, man, I got a, I got a, I got a couple of degrees and one hundred fifteen thousand dollars of student loan debt. I don't have to prove I'm fucking smart. Like, there's this famous psychologist, I think it was Eric Erickson, who said, um, "Until you make the subconscious conscious, it'll dictate everything in your life, and you'll call it fate." That was Carl Jung. Ah, Carl Jung. Yes, 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 yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you. I knew it was. Uh, uh, yeah, he's from a Freudian tree of thinking. I yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I, I completely agree. You know, the whole Freudian thing—they're really big on the subconscious and interpreting dreams, and and however you want to take that stuff. I think there's some meat on that bone, but like, yeah, it's it's until you until you say, "Hey, I don't like when you use that tone of voice," but that's my shit and not yours. Until you are at a point where you can realize that it will affect all of your relationships. And in turn, affect your mental health because it's going to bounce at you, bounce back at you what you give it. And that's just, it's just, that's toxicity on toxicity. And you don't even know. No, you know what that is? It's you're recreating your own trauma if you don't. So it, it takes understanding your trauma in order to not project it onto other people. Mm. I got a question for you. I don't want to get too therapisty technical, but I do wonder what your take is on this. Like in terms of people understanding their trauma, what's the first step in that? How do you believe that people walk toward a better understanding of that? Like in everyday life, in everyday life, you know, it's tricky. You can start noticing what triggers you. What gets you kind of riled up and getting curious about it rather than reactive and trying to control the outside world to perfectly make you comfortable? Because first of all, it's never going to do that. So you start out by identifying what your triggers are. The way that I work with it uh, with my clients actually is through hypnotherapy. You do hypnotherapy? I do hypnotherapy. Wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah, so we're able to, I start with an emotion that, for example, if they're constantly experiencing this high level of fear, you know, over situations that wouldn't cause that shouldn't be causing that fear. Um, well, and we'll start with, you know, with that emotion and create an emotional bridge when they're in trance, essentially when they're deep mm-hmm. into like that meditative experience. And we start tracing back to, okay, when was the last time you felt this? Okay. When was the first time you felt that go back even younger? When was the first time you felt that? And so that's kind of my, that's my, my, cheat sheet like my quick route to getting to like the meat of it mm. and a lot of in a lot of times it's something that you don't even realize and so you're reacting to this person now in your current life in that way because you never process this other situation mm. yeah and, then we go back and we reprocess that trauma and integrate it by bringing new understanding to it from your adult mind mm-hmm. and so now when your body tries to react in that same way you can tell it like you're not there anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where kind of like the integration happens is you're not there anymore, you know? You're here. Notice where you are. You're you're reacting to this. I do, I definitely do believe that getting understanding mm-hmm. on the root of your reactions can help you in walking yourself through changing that reaction. Yeah, I agree, actually. I, I think I think that's kind of brilliant. No wonder you knew uh, who that quote was from. Because uh, <laughs> that's that's making the subconscious conscious. Love Carl Jung. Unconscious conscious. He's he's very brilliant, man. Very brilliant, man. Um, no, I actually, so I'm a certified personal trainer. And this is how everything is related. Uh, there's something called a kinetic chain in your body. Uh, your, every, every, every joint, your ankles, uh, your knees, your hips. And everything's connected. So if you have an ankle issue that goes unaddressed, you'll tend to pull off of that onto the other side, which will affect your knee, which in turn affects your hips, which in turn affects your spinal alignment, which in turn affects your neck. Everything is connected. One thing being off can completely cause a chain reaction that manifests itself in an unrelated way. And I think when it comes to the mind, it's very similar to the body trauma in this one spot by the time it shoots through your subconscious and it presents itself it's probably hard to find where the root of that is because the root is 40 feet beneath the earth but at the top is just one teeny blade of grass and you have no idea like that can't cause that no way and until you explore it how the hell would you know isn't that kind of fucked <laughs> <laughs> kind of <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know who, I don't know why, man. When you just comes to like the human experience, like yo, who built this? We always do that. We always get to this. We're like, what the fuck is the point of this? Like, we're like, for what? For, for what? what? For what? Hey, listen, and then there's a lot of different viewpoints because I'm really battling with my uh, spirituality right now. I told my wife, like, what if you die and the lights go out and there's nothing else? Like, what the fuck was the point? <laughs> That's what it. What was the point? What yeah. was the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry to anybody out there who, uh, <laughs> life is life is great. Everything's <laughs> fine. Let's bring it back. <laughs> you know what? Almost like being able to laugh yeah. at that is where you get into the space of, at the end of the day, can we just practice joy and play around? And that's actually something you do. I see you doing every single day on your That was podcast. a great segue. That was an amazing segue. You got it off lock in this podcast. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. We do practice joy. I'm, I'm beginning to redefine joy. What is, what is joy to you? Uh, I can tell you that I used to think that joy was a destination. I, if, I, if I do a whole bunch of stuff, you know, if I go to school and I get a good job, I'll be able to buy a big house and I'll see my family's face smiling every morning. And I'm going to be joyful. When I do A, B, C, D, it's going to equal the joy at the end. That's what I used to think joy was. I realized that that is profoundly untrue. What joy is, is walking throughout life and dealing with the shit that comes your way and having a mindset of gratitude and being present in the moment enough to really hold on to those passing moments. Joy is in almost every minute that passes by in the day. It's just whether or not you grab onto that for a second and sit in there like, damn, this is amazing. Because life keeps coming at you. My wife and I had a moment yesterday. We had a huge day where so many good things happened to us. And then like the rest of the day was just busy and crazy. And she was like, hey, yo, look where we at. And I'm like, damn, you're right. So joy isn't the destination. It's all the pit stops along the journey, you know? Or it's the pit stops you decide to take along the journey. And you just pull off to the side of the road, you know, have a coffee break and watch the cars go by. Like, damn, this is what's up. Look how far I've come. It don't always look the way you want it to look. It ain't always a parade. Sometimes joy can come in the midst of profound sadness, you know? But uh, joy is, I'm starting to realize that joy lives in these little bite-sized moments that happen in our lives and whether or not you have joy is going to be heavily dependent upon your ability to stop and see that. Your ability to take it in, to notice it, to be mindful of it. Be mindful, be present, be in the moment, which is tough because we're always either worrying about the past or worrying about the future. It's hard to just be where you are when you're there, but uh, practicing that and picking up techniques to help you build that muscle a little bit um, definitely helps. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so important to to really bring attention to healing our trauma mm-hmm. and to doing that work. Because I've I've definitely experienced this, that the more that I come to understand my own trauma and the more that I reparent myself and move myself through it, the more space that there is inside of me for receiving joy. Mm. Yeah, you definitely make room. You can increase your bandwidth for receiving joy. I believe so. I don't know how exactly yet. I feel like a lot of times it comes to me on accident, but I think a lot of it is just being mindful of the fact that you have to like dig for joy. I thought it was going to hit me in the face like a fly ball at a baseball game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like, nah, I got to dig for that shit. It's, it's a T-Rex thigh bone. You know, from the Jurassic era. That shit is 80 feet in the ground. And all I got is like a shitty Toys R Us shovel. Rest in peace, Toys R Us. It was a great store when it was over. But like, that's all I got. And I got to dig for it. And it's great to find, but it's work to get to. Yeah. And then just play. That's just play. Playful. We've been we've been on that play. Just be playful vibe. I love it. Yeah. How old are you guys, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 31. I'm 27. Yeah. Okay. I'm 34. So. Yeah, 34. Okay. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm the next. Uh. The next. The next. The next stage. Uh, we're still in the same age group though. Until next year, then I. <laughs> I go up to the geezers. We're still all millennials, all millennials though. There it go. Shout out to millennials, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we are. We're. We reached our time. Oh man. We have one I, more question. Let's do it. What Before- you got? 
before that, I got, okay, this is going to be the shittiest fucking attempt because I have three rolling around in my head. But can I guess your Zodiac sign? Let's do it. Ooh. Oh, God damn it. There's three. <laughs> I have to guess three because I can't decide. Give me all three. Aries, Gemini, or Cancer? And I'm leaning more towards Cancer. I say Gemini. Okay. Tell me why Cancer. Because that empathy. I feel okay. like that, that that like deep empathy. Value like, for family. Value. Mm-hmm, like, um, like softer. Mm-hmm softness to it mm-hmm. the Aries is because i'm an aries and you're just like radically unfiltered but i don't know <laughs> i don't think it's an i don't know if it's an aries and then the gemini is just like a crazy playful sign like they're so and, not, and communicative and communicative they're good with oh, their wow friends. yeah so i'm actually a pisces oh! <laughs> never been that off mad sensitive b we have never been that okay, off. Okay, okay. Right, When's well, your birthday? You got to tell us your birth time now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later. Wait, wait, when's your birthday? March 15th. Odds oh, of March. Okay. Okay. okay, cool. You're rolling up into Aries with that one, but all yeah, right. Yeah, I know you were close with the Aries, though. That was real close. But no, I am a Pisces. Okay, I love Pisces. Everybody loves Pisces. We're tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Leo. She's an Aries. My wife and daughter are both Leos, man. (laughs) You guys are something. How did they end up with a Pisces? That's funny. It's like a little backup. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we run a gradient from very, very hot to to very not hot. It's it's a it's a shit show in my house. Create some kind of balance somewhere in there. Okay. Our last question. Yes. What is mental health for you? What does it mean to you? What does mental health mean? Um, mental health for me is the system by which you operate to maintain your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. If you have good mental health, it increases the likelihood that you would have positive thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. If you have mental health that is in need of vast improvement, it would increase the likelihood that you don't have positive thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Mental health is a big-ass suitcase that you take to a Miami trip. You can throw anything in that joint that you want. You could throw all club clothes in there. You could throw a little bit of everything for every event in there. Or you could just pack swimsuits and liquor. All right? What you put in that suitcase is going to dictate the kind of trip that you have. Um, and that's that's what that is. My crazy, convoluted, uh, probably doesn't make sense to all of your followers idea of mental health in a nutshell. I love that yeah. so much because when you think about, all right, if you're going to go on a trip, you want to pack some like lazy day stuff and you also want to pack party stuff to make it like a mm-hmm. whole lot and I think that just goes so well with that mental health picture because sometimes mental health has this very medicalized mm-hmm. picture in your mind where it's like very intellectual. It's very like you have to act perfect. You have to do all these right things in order to have a good mental health. But mental health is also us laughing about like how like wild life is, how like silly this is, but also having fun and and then also meditating and then also eating healthy, then also not eating healthy. It's it's such a dance. It's such a balance. It is. And that's what I mean by the things that go in your suitcase. The conversations, mm-hmm. laughing with your friends, you know, that could be your swimsuit. Uh, uh, maybe eating, knowing that you probably shouldn't have that pizza, but it feels so fucking good to eat that pizza. That's that's packing cheap vodka. You know, it's but it's fine. Sometimes you need cheap vodka on a trip. Sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need it. It's not my swag, but I've seen people do it. It's just, it takes a multitude of different things in order to maintain good mental health. No one can tell you what to put in that suitcase. You might put all short sleeve shirts. You get to Miami and it's 40 goddamn degrees down there for some odd reason. But going back to flexibility, I think that that helps in your relationship. And it also helps in mental health, having the flexibility to say, you know what, let me pack a little bit of everything. Oh, look at that little odd end right there. I don't know if it belongs on a trip to Miami, but it makes me feel good. I'm going to put it in here just the same. And it does not hurt me to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's, yeah. that's, that's my idea of that whole thing. So having a flexible system, too. Absolutely. Flexibility 
Uh, I learned that in personal training. Um, you, If you don't have balance, you can't have strength. If you don't have strength, you can't have power. Mm. They're all interconnected. So people really don't understand how important balance is in, in your strength. I don't see how it's any uh, different in the mental health space. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. All connected, B. It's all connected. Yeah, right here. Thank you so much for no, thank y'all. This is great, man. I could talk. I can literally sit and talk to y'all for like a, like four hours. We could really yeah. do. Listen, you and your family have friends in Atlanta, so when y'all, hey, my wife went to Emory University. We're actually gonna be down there when the, when the world opens back up. Yeah, we got my father in law lives down there. Oh, cool. We'll grab mm-hmm. not cheap vodka. Yeah, no, we ain't doing no vodka shit, man. We can't tell We gotta do some we gotta do some nice liquor that doesn't give you the uh the Hershey squirts in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm not lying. It's <laughs> real. We'll, we'll hit up some mezcal. There you go. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you again. Yes, for sure. Everybody, oh, where can everyone find you? You all can find me on Instagram at Kier and Them. That's at K-I-E-R and Them. And we have an amazing YouTube channel as well. Um, my wife and I have a sit-down talk series we do every other week. We we get straight into the issues. She doesn't hold back anything. Um, it's a really good conversation. It's a really good conversation around a whole bunch of things that people are a little afraid to talk about, but we go into it bravely. So it's at Kier and Them care and them we'll be happy to have you all y'all go into it so bravely yeah pretty soon would be like me when i saw your video this video that video (laughs) they're great and then your wife was working on a new project too what's that yeah so she actually man which one she has a lot of different projects um so her uh her website is she has a blog um simmer down with noemi.com and noemi's n-o-e-m-i-e simmer down with noemi she's a lawyer but she also missed her calling as a therapist she's brilliant um she is unapologetically her she's a mom she's a wife she's a boss she has a filthy mouth and she's highly intelligent so uh please go check her out if you hit my page you it won't be hard to find her <laughs> i tag her and everything okay perfect thank you again yes thank you guys everyone make sure to tune in every monday at 6 a.m and remember be kind to yourself be kind to yourself (laughs) bye bye